We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Good morning, afternoon, or evening. And welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Network. The following show is just... Horrifying. Beware. You're obsessed with her, and you're obsessed with her daughter! Right, easy, Geraldo. Welcome back to Horror Queers. We're talking... We're talking 8 million characters, and we're talking Friday... Nope, Friday the 13th. God damn it, screwed up my own joke. And I'm Joe. (laughs) And I'm Trace, and we're talking one of the biggest quality drops mid-climax in a Friday the 13th movie that I think think i've ever seen <laughs> wow the mid-quality climax drop I, it's okay like so everyone we are talking friday the 13th part 7 the new blood which i can tell you right now i am so tired of typing in my notes i'm not one for abbreviation so i've been typing it up the entire time <laughs> oh girl no you gotta learn that cut and paste action it's control x control v Control C, control. Oh, cut, cut. Sorry, I'm cut. Whatever. <laughs> okay, sorry. So yeah, we're talking this movie. I, I, I no, I, I Joe, why are we covering this movie? This is my fault. So everybody, there's a Friday the Thirteenth this week. Except, oops, there isn't. So we just programmed this movie randomly, thinking that there was one. That was totally on me. I was looking at the calendar wrong. So basically, when the next Friday the Thirteenth happens in August replay this episode or our episodes on jason x or jason goes to hell um make it a marathon instead of watching the well no you can watch those movies too that's fine we all have that new blu-ray set <laughs> yeah we we gotta break those in sometimes so hey we're just giving you an excuse to crack this one out early <laughs> but and but actually and you touched on this joe why did we pick this particular entry and we'll go into it in more detail obviously but so this is the super gay one right i mean this is where you've got Carrie, aka Dina, using her telekinetic powers, so that's already a little bit gay. I was gonna say what? <laughs> and then like half the cast of this movie is just a little bit queerio. Almost every male actor in this movie, I'm sorry, male identifying actor in this movie is gay, which I find so fascinating. But I don't want to get too deep into this because we do have someone waiting in the wings to come discuss this movie with us, Joe. Is it Tina? Oh my god, wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> <laughs> but it's not. It's someone even better. Everyone. He is first and foremost a baker, but he's also a horror writer. You may have read his columns at such websites like Talk Film Society and Daily Grindhouse, but he's also got bylines at We Are Horror, Haw Creek Horror, and Boom Howdy. Please welcome Mr. Greg Mucci. Hey, what's up? Um, I don't have a retort. <laughs> I was going to ask if we can call you the bare butt baker. <gasps> yes. Is that allowable? We're a throwback. 
<laughs> Listeners, if you don't know, Greg actually posted on Twitter that he would show his butt if he reached, was it 3,200 followers? Uh, I think it was 31, and then I was like, okay, maybe I could get 3,200, I'll show something else. Or I don't know. There's not much else to show, but... Well, there's still some full frontal action, but I won't pressure you. <laughs> we'll get to 4,000, okay? Oh, wow, you heard it here first. That's what you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> Well, someone someone wanted wanted a baguette in between my ass. I forget how that started, but oh yes, yeah, that was, that was a large feat for MacGruber two, maybe, <laughs> or from I, I sexual fantasies of like horny gay men <laughs> locked in quarantine. In case people have not seen MacGruber, there's a whole bit with uh, Will Forte and Ryan Phillippe sticking sticks of celery up their ass. That's healthy, though. Oh yeah, that is healthy. Not as opposed to bread, which I don't even know how that would work. But <laughs> welcome to the show, Greg. Uh, everyone, Greg's kind of part of our like a movie marathon group we've been doing for the past couple of months. Kinda. Me, Joe, and some friends. <laughs> I mean, ki- <laughs> wow. He only started it. <laughs> He's just kind. He only started it. No, and I know. I'm actually glad because you know we've all been kind of been like Twitter acquaintances over the past couple years, and then Greg was out there like one day. I really want to watch all the Saw movies, and then. Me, Joe, and former guest Lindsay Travis and Jenny Nolf pounced on him <laughs> yeah. Ooh. and invited ourselves into his movie club. Pounced on me without the baguette. There you go. Right. That comes later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but um, I mean, to be fair, I've been ditching the past week or so, but... um. Mm-mm. No apologies here, but I did want to say it's nice to talk to you in a professional capacity to where we have to be, like, formal and shit. Wait, this is going to be professional? On Should Friday I put on a suit and tie? Part seven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, I hope everyone wore their short shorts and their mulleted hair because this is the attire for this particular film. Oh, man. Tina's mom. Worst oh, hair. man. It's so good. Okay, when I found out that that actress, Susan Blue, was a lesbian, I was like, it all makes sense now. It all makes sense. Uh, yeah, she's she's in Cars and The Hunchback of Notre Dame, I guess, as voice acting. But Okay. She's done a ton of voice acting. Not only acting, but she's like also a voice director on a lot of cartoons. Like for the past thirty oh, or forty man. years. Yeah, apparently there's even a voice acting method called like the Susan Blue method, like that she created. Wow. It huh. is awesome. My big find for her was that she voices or sorry, voiced Flim Flam, the um really annoying psychic character in the thirteen ghosts of Scooby Doo. Oh my god. <laughs> I thought that was really cool. People, Some people listening to this will get it. But anyway, uh, Greg, so you're a fan of this franchise, one might say, right? Um, I mean, I prefer it over, I think, all of them. But yeah, <laughs> you know. So this is something we never knew about Greg. And then all of a sudden, he just like drops this into a chat or on Instagram one time. And I was like, Greg, you have literally never mentioned Friday the 13th. And he was like, oh, yeah, it's my favorite franchise. I mean, I, I, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, I think, is like the best film of all of like the heavy right. hitters. And I think I actually might prefer it over Halloween, which, you know, people oh, might, you know, okay. think is blasphemous. But then you get to Dream Child and... Falls off a cliff. Yeah, because I, I could even find really great stuff with um, New Beginning. You know, I don't really care that it's not Jason. I think, like, the, the lighting and the cinematography is really great in that movie. But, yeah, no, this, I mean, this has sort of held my interest, and I think Jason, people think he's no Freddy, but I actually kind of hate Freddy after the third one. 
Um, mm. so I I will say I know people hate Dream Child. I don't think it's a good movie, but I will say watching things in a marathon it's so fascinating to me because like I really hate Freddy's Dead, but I didn't particularly mind the Dream Child when I watched it when I was marathon. Like sandwich between four and six, like it's obviously a step down from four. Mm-hmm. But when you watch Freddy's Dead, it's like, oh, well, that was kind of a masterpiece. Dream Child, not Freddy's Dead. I like Freddy's Dead. <laughs> I do not. <laughs> <laughs> but but with, with this film, with Friday the 13th Part 7, I will say, so I, I saw it probably on TV as a kid, but I never, like, I just knew it was the Carrie versus Jason one. And mm-hmm. in a marathon, so you're coming off of the high of six, because six is one of my favorite ones in this franchise. Mm-hmm. And this is, again, a step down. But then I watched... Jason Takes Manhattan, and I was kind of like, oh, like I have fonder memories of Seven. I will say that watching Seven by itself, I think it's fine, but I think it works better if you sandwich it between Six and Eight. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, was, I think I was looking at your, what, two and a half, three star? I think it's a three star rating. I gave it a three, yeah. Box. Yeah, I think, Joe, you have a two and a half. Yeah, I'm always a little bit more critical. Yeah, and I mean, mine's is a three, but it's, you know, it's very... It carries a, a large heart with it. And, Aww. I mean, I, w- I will say, I guess I have to backpedal. Uh, <laughs> I'm one of the rare people who find the, the final chapter to be really insufferably boring. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> this guy. <laughs> now we're going to have to fight, aren't we? <laughs> I think Crispin Glover's great, but you do have a bug. I think everyone else is sort of a dead fuck. And mm. most of the time, it's them watching like a silent error porn. And the guy from the last American version. And it just takes him a long time to get there. And I just like, it's kind of a snooze. And I think the Joseph Zito is sort of the same thing with the Prowler. I think like the effects are great and the killer is really great, but it's also kind of boring. Okay, I find that fascinating because, so, I mean, again, right across the calls, I get it. I mean, because for me, the final chapter kind of takes a lot of the things that work about one, two, and three and kind of like meshes them into a film that is just kind of a highlights reel of those first three films like oh like well here, here's like all this put to the test that's really mm-hmm. good i mean i've said this publicly before but i think that the first one's really boring i get why it's um classic i yeah well it's iconic it's influential but if we're talking entries in this franchise that i want to rewatch, that's one of the last ones that i go to oh wait wait so you watch it last or you just He'd like, prefer not to watch it at all. <laughs> I prefer not to watch it at all. Like, again, if, if, if you said, hey, you have to rewatch eight of the Friday the 13th movies out of the 12 that exist, the original would not be in those eight that I'm rewatching. That's a fucking tragedy, man. Okay. I, <laughs> I, you have to start off with one and two. I mean, maybe not even that, in that order, although it would be weird, I think, if you threw it in as, like, the fifth one you watch, but... Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know. I, I really appreciate the quieter moments of the first one. It's very right. sort of meditative. And I love the monologue that I forget what her name is. She's the one who gets the axe to the head. She's t- talking to Kevin Bacon about mm-hmm. this dream she had. And they're like, then like a thunderstorm's rolling in. And yeah, I don't know. I really enjoy all the quiet moments. And then, you know, Pamela Voorhees shows up. And I think that it gets even more interesting. But I, I can see if you find that boring. Because I mean, hell, I find Final Chapter boring. So, right. I think it really speaks to what people are looking for. 
this is not my favorite franchise, but there's so many different variations in the franchise that I think there's kind of something for everybody. So it really depends on what you're looking for and what drives you. So if you're looking for the really gnarly kills, you're going to be attracted to certain parts. Mm -hmm. If you're looking for those quieter moments, if you're looking for the stunning reveals, you know, you might be attracted to completely different films. Well, because Joe, I mean, you're on record, right? Like you really, really enjoy Jason Goes to Hell the Final Friday, which is one of the most maligned entries in the franchise, despite the fact that it is, it's the most wildly, like, different from everything else in the franchise. But what I kind of like or respect about everything post-6 is that every single entry is a gimmick. Like, this one is Carrie versus Jason. The eighth one is Jason in New York, kind of. The ninth, Hornaboat. Yeah. <laughs> the, the ninth <laughs> one is uh, Jason body swapping. And then the tenth one is Jason in space. So... Granted, I think that they are wildly inconsistent in quality, but mm -hmm. I like a lot of parts of a lot of these movies. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, uh, you know, if, if I'm watching the movies, I definitely don't skip over Final Chapter, and I think the thing that I appreciate is the lore of it. It sets up Tommy Jarvis for the fifth and the sixth right. movies. So, I mean, if you do skip it, you're just kind of like, wait. What the fuck is going on? Yeah, yeah. Who is this? Because <laughs> I think the guy, I forget the actor in, in New Beginning, he's knows martial arts. Yeah, uh, he's, I know. He's, mm -hmm. he's really ripped, which is sort of weird for Tommy Jarvis, I guess. But <laughs> Tommy Jarvis got hot. <laughs> yeah, he went to a mental institution and he got hot. Um, that's fun. John John Shepard. John Shepard. Because he always he always looks like the guy from Troll Two, but it's not. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think the thing I appreciate about I'll just say one through three is that it does a lot of POV shots, which I think the series sort of drops once mm -hmm. you get to six. Because mm -hmm. in six, he's like a survivalist. He's like kind of trim Jason and he's got like a utility belt. And then in this one, you know, they replace um, CJ Graham with Kane Hodder. And so he's like just a mass of man, mm -hmm. you know? So yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. He's not waterlogged, but he's kind of <laughs> just like hotter logged, I guess. So, <laughs> so then let's bring this home then, Greg. So, so yeah, what is your connection with this particular film with part seven, the new blood? Um, I grew up watching one and two and I love them, but I sort of stopped there and I didn't watch, I didn't actually get into the franchise until I was like 24, 25 when one Friday the 13th, I just decided to watch all of them. And it just felt weird. I think my only association with the remaining ones post, Part two is just VHS covers from going into, you know, mom and pop mm -hmm. video stores and and then kind of working at Blockbuster for a year before I got fired. Those fuckers. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I, I got to it late, but I think I appreciated this just because, yeah, it's doing weird stuff. And I, I think that the cast of characters, they don't work as a whole, but I do like how eclectic they are. Like you have the sort of the ugly Betty type and then you have sci-fi writer geek eddie then you have mm -hmm. you have your hot guy nick who's kind of boring then you have melissa you're stuck up prude i also just really like how jason essentially is carrying around like a, a shed's worth of uh, <laughs> we weaponry like he'll, yes. just, he'll go behind a tree and pop out with like a buzzsaw and then the next scene he has an axe and he kills someone with, someone with a kazoo yeah he truly is magic. It's like he's apparating all of these different well, weapons. <laughs> yeah. I also think that this is the best Jason looks in the entire franchise. I think this makeup effects on Kane Hodder are fucking fantastic. And I think when people think of Jason, I think this is probably the look that most people think of. Like, if you think, oh, like, which Jason are you thinking of? I mean, maybe I'm wrong here, but I think it is this one with the exposed spine. Hmm. 
Hmm. I don't know. I think people think part three. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, at the end of three, you have him looking out the window in sort of this, like, weird, like, sexual frenzy as he's banging on it. <laughs> and then, and so you kind of get an idea of what his face is, but I think that has the most iconic, that and part four have the most iconic masks. But, mm-hmm. I mean, right. yeah, this has the, like, in my opinion, the coolest look, like when Tina breaks the mask. Oh, yeah. And he shows so his, like, good. you know, real yeah. West Virginia teeth, and he, like, <laughs> oh, snarls at you, and, yeah, it's it's, it's really cool looking. You might, you might, you could edit that part out. I don't want to. I was <laughs> going to say, Greg, that is offensive. We're going to keep it in because it's an opportunity for me to plug the fact that we're talking about stereotypes of the backwoods all month on Patreon. So go visit that. <laughs> Yay, hillbilly horror. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I I give this a three because you mentioned that, Greg, how I gave this a three. And I, well, it's probably more of a two, two and a half film. There's something about the character. Now, again, the teenagers are spread too thin. Like, for an 88... Well, I'm sorry. This is really an 80-minute movie because we do have five minutes of credits and five minutes of, like, recap and title cards. Mm-hmm. I think it spreads itself too thin because it spends so much time trying to focus on Tina and her ordeal that it kind of, like, shoehorns all these kids into it. I remember watching this, and I was like, oh, fuck. Like, I don't know who any of these people are. They no. they're all given one basic trait. Yet at the mm-hmm. same time, there's a handful of them where I'm like, oh, I really like what the film is trying to do for you with this journey. I, I love the sci-fi character Eddie. Wait, do you like him or do you want him? Both. Okay. <laughs> I really like Maddie's like you know as the ugly duckling journey. I think that's really mm-hmm. cool. I like Robin. Um, I don't give a shit about David. There's things about this uh, that I'm David like, sucks. Yeah, but there's things about this where I'm like, oh, like, I really like. The, I find the characters really empathetic or sympathetic in this film, and I like watching them. And I want more of them. That's my only big gripe. And because really, it feels like we're having two films here, right? We have the Tina stuff with Doctor Cruz and her mom and her dad, and blah 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 blah. And then over here, you have this typical Friday the Thirteenth movie. And right. I feel like they're always at odds with each other. Well, mm-hmm. I, th- I feel like it should have gone, like, less Carrie and more the Fury, in which, like, you know, you have uh. Cassavetti is sort of trying to harness and weaponize this power. And I feel like with Dr. Cruz, they really wasted that because... Oh, yeah. I do, I do love the idea of, like, a sort of a diabolical doctor sort of trying to take advantage of this young woman and her powers, but he's... Mm-hmm a real dead fuck and then you have tina who i think i like the character or maybe the idea of the character but lara park lincoln i don't know what the direction was for her because she's super infantile the entire movie Mm -hmm. to me that's the misdirect of the chemistry is like is her sort of being this pouty child like there's no way that she could adult up in you know the second half and have any chemistry with nick because she's just stuck in this moment where she kills her dad in the beginning yeah. Yeah, and I was also really confused. I mean, we we've always discussed like the timeline of the franchise and how fucked it is because I was like, wait, 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 wait. So the prologue of this movie where she kills her dad. Oh God, don't do this. Well, I always <laughs> thought it took place like you know, I guess before the other. Fa- I don't really know. Basically, no, no, no. The prologue takes place after part six, so it's in like 1990, and then it's seven years later. So this movie takes place in 1997, which I think is fascinating. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And staunchly looks like 1988. Yeah, yeah, because it takes place years later um, from Jason Lives. But I mean, if I was writing this, and or if I was giving hints to Daryl Hanny, uh, I'd be like, you should bring <laughs> Tommy Jarvis back. Like Tommy Jarvis, this 
sounds stupid, but I think it would work within the stupidity of the movie. I think instead of Michael's birthday being celebrated, it's Tommy Jarvis. And he comes back to... Goes back to Crystal Lake. <laughs> yeah, but this it's not even Crystal Lake. Like, where's the camp? No, I had the same question because I was like, wait, because we do see a sign when two no-names get killed. Or actually, no, maybe mm-hmm. it's Michael and his girlfriend. But yeah. where it, it says Crystal Lake five miles away. So I was like, wait, so are we at a lake, like, adjacent to Crystal Lake? Like, where are we? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're just on the other side of the lake. Like, the camp is on the other side, but you would have to take the canoe to get it there. It looks like a pond. It doesn't even look like it a lake. It does. I mean, they filmed it on a swamp, so, yeah. I guess uh, the housing prices went up in New Jersey. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, Preston Fassel, he did, like, a timeline breakdown a few, a couple years ago of this franchise, and I mean, it was really fascinating because it's, yeah. It's all over the place. It's all over the place. It's not what you think. Yeah, I think, like, Jason Goes to Hell does not take place in what? When did that come out? 91? Am I well? Uh, 93. 93. Yeah, it doesn't take place in 93. I'm pretty sure it's in the 2000s. Yeah. Yeah, you're Uh, correct. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, it's all bizarre. Okay, so before we go into, like, production stuff, so, you know, Joe and I have alluded to Fry Gay the 13th, because, yes... So many cast members in this film were gay. So we've already said that Susan Blue, who plays Mrs. Shepard, was a lesbian. Kevin Blair Spiritus, whose Nick was gay. William Butler, who plays Michael for like the three seconds he's on screen, <laughs> was right. gay. Craig Thomas, who plays Ben, uh, who has no defining characteristic outside of the fact that he is the one black male in the film, was mm-hmm. gay. And then Jeff Bennett, who plays Eddie, who's my sweetheart, is also gay. <laughs> Which I think they have a I mean, kind of ambiguous moment in which it's like the morning and they're in the cabin and Eddie's talking about this movie called Thronger. And I guess he like, he alludes to him and Ben having washed together and it gets very awkward. And Ben tries to sort of like, you know, say like, no, we didn't watch that. (laughs) Stop referencing the euphemism. That means we had sex. (laughs) I mean, it's interesting. Yeah. I've looked at excerpts from the Crystal Lake Memories book and there are definitely a lot of allusions to things like, William Butler, who plays Michael, he says, like, oh, yeah, like, there was a lot of hanky-panky. I slept with half the cast. Just kidding. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, just remove the just kidding, and there we go. That's the truth. Jeff Bennett, who plays Eddie, he said almost everybody in that movie was gay, but I don't think he was out when they were filming it, because it says, uh, he said it took him another two years to come out, but he did have a thing with William Butler, so he may have actually slept with half the cast. All right. Sorry to uh, cut in, but Laura Park Lincoln, um... She mentioned, like, um, since they were taking, it took place in, what, like, Alabama? I think it's where... Yes, I think it was filmed in Alabama. Yeah, and I guess, super cold out, and so I guess all the actors sucked on ice cubes, so when they actually spoke, they weren't, you know, showing any breath, because it's supposed to be the summertime. (laughs) Um, And she made the comment, that's the only thing that I sucked on, apparently other people did more than that. So I don't know if, like, she seems very, (laughs) she seems very, I don't know, catty in a way. Yeah, because there's, there's some animosity between her and the guy who plays Nick. Kevin Spiritus. Yes, because mm-hmm. uh, apparently he was going out to the gay bars and not spending time with her bonding. So, <laughs> there, mm. Okay, so yeah, th- there's a lot of... Um, so they're apparently on good terms now. So he actually did a guest appearance on, actually, New Dread Central Acquisition. Woohoo! Former guest Friday the 13th on our Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker episode, but... He actually says that when he was doing the interviews for Crystal Lake Memories, the book, he brought up the fact that he was gay, but he told the author, like, don't, I don't want my personal life in that book. Please don't put that in there. 
and he did. And so, like, he uh. was... I'm sure he was out with, like, people, but like, he was, like, publicly outed in that Crystal Lake Memories book. Yay. Yeah. Ooh. But I'm also thinking, you know, this is filmed in, like, you know, 87, 88. We're at, you know, AIDS crisis is still going on. So I do wonder if there was, um, I don't know, like, this tight-knit film set of a bunch of gay actors in 1987. <laughs> Alabama. Alabama, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I-, I imagine lots of cocaine, lots of sex. I mean, that's basically just the 80s in a nutshell, but yeah, particularly this film, for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think we'll ever really know what went on on that set, but I imagine, yeah, I mean, you have a bunch of horny gay men around, and things are going to happen. Yeah, I know the actor had a web series um, called After Forever. Mm-hmm. I think Amazon picked it up. I think season one was like 88 minutes, and each episode was like 9 to 11 minutes. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. I mean, he's maybe he'll come out with like some expose. Maybe not. Probably, probably <laughs> He's not. still out there. You know, He's still working. It's interesting because, like, w- listening to him being interviewed. Um, so I had just watched the uh, Tab Hunter documentary, Tab Hunter Confidential, for our episode on Psycho Three to prepare for that, and hearing Kevin Spiritus talk about like being gay. I don't know the way he talked about it. It was it was like, oh, look, I'll talk to you about it, but it's still kind of like my personal business. Like, it's very much like of that generation, mm. our generation. It's like, oh, put everything on fucking line. Well, for some of us. It's simultaneously refreshing and frustrating because it's like, oh, I want to know more, but you're not going to say it. As is his right, right to say to say that, but it's like, oh, but I want the dirt. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, have you ever watched the actual like Crystal Lake Memories? Yes, documentary. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I wonder how that differs from because I've I've seen that, but I haven't read the book. No, and big thanks to Terry over at Gailey Dreadful for pointing some of this out for us, because, yeah, he, I think, did go through the book for his, um, actually, for, sorry, for his appearance on Halloweenies when he did this film. But, yeah, it's, uh, I don't know, just don't out people, anyone, it's really fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. And don't, <laughs> don't be catty. Lark, <laughs> yeah, well, and that's the, when they bring it up, he's like, oh, well, we just have very different ways of approaching the material. And I was like... Okay, so then when you say, oh, he's going out to the gay bars, okay, well, so she probably wanted to stay in and be method. <laughs> and he's like, see ya! <laughs> I'm gonna go dance. I'll see you later. I get it. I'm just guessing here. It's probably not actually what happened. But, context clues. Alright, so tell us more about the making of this film that we actually do know. <laughs> so, basically, Part 6, Jason Lives, comes out August 1st of 1986. It was the first Friday movie to be released like, in the summer. Now, granted, it's the tail end of summer, but I guess they were so proud of it that they were like, fuck yeah, let's do it. Which, we all agree that Part 6 is good, or Greg, are you on the outside of that? Oh, I love it. I mean, I okay. like massively turned around on it like, a couple years ago. So I think I was like, I mean, like, the ardent horror fan in me was, you know, thought that the references to Bond and the sort of the gimmicks mm-hmm. of it was a bit, you know... Uh, Sort of a slap in the face, but it's a shit ton of fun. Well, unfortunately, it didn't do well at the box office. I mean, it made $19.5 million still, but the problem was, so summer of 86, we've got Top Gun, Poltergeist 2, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, The Karate Kid Part 2, Big Trouble, well, Big Trouble in Little China didn't do shit, um, Psycho 3. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Psycho 3 didn't do shit either. Yeah. <laughs> Aliens. Oh, God, Maximum Overdrive. Um, sorry, oh, all, so all these all these big movies. Um, it actually opens the same weekend as Howard the Duck too, which also flopped. But oh, great movie. <laughs> Basically, they, they learned their lesson. So yeah, so Jason lives reintroduces Jason Voorhees because obviously in part five he's not in it. 
And then part six, while not a huge box office smash, I think was it was the only film to get like moderately positive reviews from critics. And so they were like, cool, we're on a ride here. Let's do Freddy versus Jason. And right. <laughs> that, needless to say, did not happen until 2003, so 15 years later. So after New Line Cinema and Paramount failed to come to an agreement, they basically were like, fuck this. We're not going to do Freddy vs. Jason. We'll do something else instead. So as Greg has already mentioned, screenwriter Daryl Daryl Haney comes in. He goes, there's always a teenage girl who's left to battle Jason by herself. What if the girl had telekinetic powers? And I feel like that's a wonderful way to start your movie. Like, I think all Friday the 13th movies should be like that, where it's like, what if Jason but blank? <laughs> Jason versus a unicorn. Mm-hmm. So, of course, with this, it was um, Jason versus Carrie. And Barbara Sachs, who's an associate producer on the on the franchise, really, she's like, cool, it's interesting, but we want to make this a more respectable entry. Since the last one got good reviews, we want to, like, make the, we want to give some prestige factor to this film. She apparently also wanted it to win an Academy Award. <laughs> you know, as you do with your horror films. Sure. Yeah, shoot big. Several high-profile directors were considered for the job, including Italian filmmaker Federico Fellini. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> I mean, this movie's right up there with Amacord. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. True art film we're talking about. <laughs> so I guess when a bunch of people said, fuck that, they went to John Carl Buechler. Now... He is mostly known for being um, an effects artist turned filmmaker. So he created a lot of creatures and prosthetics for a number of New World Pictures and Empire Pictures productions. But he would eventually go on to direct a segment of Dungeon Master in 1984 and the entirety of Troll in 1986. If anyone's seen Cellar Dweller, he's also directed that film. I bought that. Have yet to watch it. I also have it, but have yet to watch it. <laughs> Has anyone actually seen this movie? It sounds like he just said a title. I won Cellar Dweller in, like, there's, like, a horror society in Austin, like, pre-COVID, and they, I, I won a trivia contest, and my my winning prize was a copy of Cellar Dweller. So one day I will watch Cellar Dweller. <laughs> la la. But yeah, so the film's original working title was Birthday Bash, chosen to conceal its identity as a Friday the 13th film, because, okay. It was originally titled Friday the 13th Part 7, Jason's Destroyer. The entire production Ew. of this film was scheduled, completed, and released in seven months. Yeah. See, last week when we were talking about Scary Movie 2, we talked about that nine-month turnaround for a parody film, which is like already drawing on pre-existing properties. So this is admittedly not wholly original, since we are drawing quite a bit from Carrie, the original telekinetic girl. Right. Well, maybe one of the few. Yeah. I don't know if she's the original, Sorry. because... There there were others before yeah. her, but she popularized <laughs> The most popular it. one. Yeah. There we go. Okay. <laughs> but still, like, a seven-month turnaround. This is still a feature film. This cast is massive, and that is not an easy feat. Well, that's the thing. Like, so many of these films... Like, one of the producers even says on Crystal Light Memories, he's like, these films cost nothing to make. Like, the budget for this film was $2.8 million, and it eventually grossed $19.2 million, which is less than part six, but still a fucking money maker. It's still a lot more money than what they cost and what they did, what they spent to make it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, franchises in the eighties where they're just expecting like forty-five to fifty million dollar grosses on all of these franchises as they get really old in the teeth. But it's like you spent pennies on the dollar. You still came out of this with huge amounts of cash. You Scrooge McDuck fuckers. Pretty much. And I mean, again, it wasn't until part eight failed that paramount sold it off to new line so they were like well we're still gonna milk this cow for all it's worth 
Yep. So yeah, during uh, as Greg actually already mentioned, this is the first film to have Kane Hodder. Um, it is the first of four appearances because he will go through seven, eight, nine, and ten before being recast by Ken Kersinger in Freddy vs. Jason. Man. <laughs> so Joe, you and I have discussed this. I'm interested in Greg's thoughts. Are you of the mindset that it matters who plays Jason? Uh, oh, absolutely. I mean, really, it doesn't say anything, so it has to all be through your physicality. Mm-hmm. Plus, I mean, I think it helps having a stunt guy because he was a stunt guy on Prisoner, uh, the Running Harlan movie, and that's how right. him and Buechler meant. Is it Buechler or Buechler? Oh, maybe it is Buechler. Also, R.I.P., he is dead as of last year. A oh, bunch wow. of the people in this movie are dead. Oh, P.S. Yeah. What the fuck? Melissa's dead. <laughs> mm-hmm. oh, wow. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah, I agree with you, Greg. I definitely did notice a change in the physicality. Like, I don't know that I would have said, oh, yeah, this is the guy who, you know, is different from Jason X. Wait, did I get that wrong? Jason X is Kane. Um, it's it's still Kane. Jason is, I mean, he's a lot more massive. Like, he's taller. Yes. In Freddy vs. Jason. I'm not entirely sure why he got fired. They, I mean, again, this is probably a conversation for a Freddy vs. Jason episode, but it's something like they, they just wanted something different. But mm. it seems hypocritical when they don't recast Robert Englund, you know? Mm-hmm. It also seems a little suspicious considering that the way that Freddy manipulates Jason in Freddy vs. Jason is very similar to this film. Yes. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think that like uh, through a lot of this, it's Jason's kind of getting his ass beat and he kind of goes through the ringer. Which, I mean, you watch it and you could just tell that whoever's playing Jason is a stunt guy. Yeah. yeah. You know, but yeah, I, I think it works. I mean, aside from CJ Graham from Jason Lives, who I like a lot, uh, I think he moves really, really quick. And yeah, he seems like he's he embodies sort of this naturalistic or animalistic quality of someone who's been out in the woods. Because, you know, like I think the fans always love to discuss, you know, how did he live out in the woods? How did he survive? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's, I think, you know, seeing who cares? Jason Lives, you're like, yeah, who cares? But yeah, I don't people know. I love mean, this franchise. They love to talk about it. They love to theorize. I'm sorry, if, if I have to hear one more person complain about the tunnels and the remake and how Jason wouldn't have done that, I'm going to fucking go, go off. Like, it is, it is no, go, so go stupid. Off. Like, who cares? Who cares? Just kill people. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, I think, um, what was his name from uh, the remake? Oh, Derek, Derek Mears, Derek Mears. Derek Mears, yeah. Uh, I, I think he's also great. Uh, he's terrifying. And I think mm-hmm. that's sort of what the franchise needs is this, like, mm-hmm. horror invigoration. I mean, I think a lot of it is very stale. And I think, not to go back around and harp on Final Chapter, but I get nothing from that Jason aside from him sliding down the machete. And that mm-hmm. has everything to do with the special effects, but the actual guy who plays Jason, it just doesn't do anything for me. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I like Kane Hodder, and I'm glad that he's around for four movies. Mm-hmm. Although, I think it would have been interesting to have a new Jason through every movie. It could have been sort of a, a nice little... Oh, that would have been fun. Yeah, like a nice little, like, like a new seasoning, you know? Just kind of well, taking it from the cupboard and throwing it. I think Kane Hodder's willingness to pretty much do anything is what mm. kept him around. I don't... Not, not to say he isn't good as Jason, but I do think from a studio standpoint, it was like, cool, we have this guy who's going to do whatever we say... Let's oh, keep yeah. him in. Like I think that right. was a big factor there. But mm-hmm. again, not to diminish the contributions Howard's made to this role, because yeah, I do think that he's really good as Jason. Yeah. Oh yeah. 
Okay, well, um, before I pass it off to you, Joe, just really quickly. So, yeah, um, release date was switched back to pre-summer after Part 6's failure. So this Oops. opens May 13th, so an actual Friday the 13th, unlike this week, <laughs> of 1988. <laughs> it does hit the number one spot opening weekend with $8.2 million, and that is more than Part 6's $5 million. So it does better that way. But it ends up with 19.2 million, which is less than Part 6's 19.5. So Part 6 opened up lower, but ended up grossing more. For gentle comparison this year, um, we also saw Nightmare on Elm Street 4 come out, which grossed $49.3 million. (laughs) Yeah, that's crazy. Child's Play came out this year and grossed $33.2 million. But they're also younger franchises. I think part of this is like we're talking about the seventh entry. Yes. So you're on a roll there, Joe, because at least Friday 13th Part 7 did beat Halloween 4, which had $17.8 million in 1986. Oh, sorry, in 1988. Yikes. I mean, love the fall look, but fuck, <laughs> what a snooze. <laughs> Needless to say, uh, this film doesn't do well with critics. We're looking at a 32% of Rotten Tomatoes with an average score of 4.6 out of 10 and a letterbox score of 5.2 out of 10. I think a lot of people, this really ranks not at the bottom, but definitely in the bottom half of the franchise for a lot of people. Oh, sure. It's yeah. because it's all conceit, and then the execution is a little bit lacking, and there just isn't enough characterization to work with. Yeah, I think for me, I just, I see a lot of what they wanted to do, and by they, I mean Beekler himself. Mm-hmm. I just, they didn't accomplish it. <laughs> yeah, which, as folks know, there was, you know, MPA cuts as well as interference from the studio, so, like, this film was never going to be satisfactory. Yeah, it was always going to be fucked. We'll go through some of these kills. And sorry, and everyone, if you haven't seen the extra footage of the kills, it is available on the Blu-ray as an extra feature, or you can probably find it on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it was resubmitted seven times to the MPAA, and you could, like, see moments, you know? Yes. Like, an arm entering a chest, and right as you're about to see it exit, uh, it cuts. Um, and I do think that this is a movie that, like My Bloody Valentine, that would change i think a lot of people's rankings if they mm-hmm. uh, you know if they were restored i don't think that will ever happen but watching no. them i was i was super impressed oh yeah they clearly spend all of their money on the gore and the practical effects and then mm-hmm. they didn't end up getting to use any of it so this film just comes out looking neutered um mm-hmm. yeah yeah shall we walk through it together Let's go through it, because this is a ride. Yes. (laughs) Try to keep up with all these characters. Oh. (laughs) I literally found all of their names, so... So, when we introduce them, I will give you the descriptor that Wikipedia gives each one. It is an adjective. Oh, I think I just used them. (laughs) Okay. All right. So, following a recap of films five and six, as well as Uh, the credits. Did y'all love, too, that we just get the shot of Mark from part two just rolling down in his wheelchair? Like, there's no (laughs) exposition for his character. It's just, oh, here's this kid with a machete in his face. Here's here's the most tragic death of the series. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Just a little ableist dig right off the top. Yay. Also, gay actor. Um, He did eventually die from complications of AIDS, but... Mm More gay in this movie. There we go. I mean, kudos for them for squeezing every little ounce of gay into this film. Mm-hmm. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, this this movie made me realize that Jason had a tombstone, and I was yes. kind of wondering who who bought that for him. Oh my god! 
everyone just go and listen to Kill by Kill because I think they spend half of their talks on this film franchise talking about stuff like that. That's yeah, like a GoFundMe was open for his fucking tombstone. And it's weird though, right though, because I do feel like as much as this franchise like does not give a shit about continuity, it also does care it has about weird details. some things. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, so we open our film with a preteen Tina, who is played by Jennifer Banco. Uh, I I could have sworn it was Carol Ann from Poltergeist. Oh yeah, it does look like her. Yes, she started in Barbed Wire when she grew mm. up, like that the Pamela the Anderson Pamela movie? Anderson one. You mean the really? Casablanca remake? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course. That's the one I did mean. Yes. <laughs> All right, so preteen Dina is seeking refuge from her parents' abusive relationship in a canoe out on the waters of maybe Camp Crystal Lake or whatever swamp they're Camp filming Camp Crystal at. Pond. The CCP, yeah. Cub- Cubic Zirconia Pond. Camp yes. Crystal Puddle. <laughs> we'll workshop this. Yeah. We'll come back to it. I should have thought about that more, but yes, <laughs> yes, we're both right. So she is hiding out, and then her father, who is played by John Otrin, comes out, and she is mad at him. So she inadvertently uses her psychokinetic powers to collapse the dock he's standing on, and he's dead. And during all of this, Jason is still underwater from the ending of Six. Mm-hmm. Yep. So uh, going with Greg's statement then, so yeah, I guess they tore down the camp and replaced it with this house <laughs> luxury cottages yes yeah yeah, yeah. The, the the jaws idea that barbara sacks had mm-hmm. yes they've they've turned it into some kind of tourism residential area right okay i'm glad y'all mentioned jaws though because one of the deaths in this movie i was like this is just like jaws oh see i got creature from the black lagoon Ooh, good Ooh. one but see the way it was shot oh, when, when we get to that yeah we'll get there we'll get there <laughs> poor sandra yeah, yeah. <laughs> poor sandra whose name i had to look up oh i i could not tell you her i mean i have her written Heidi down her, her descriptor <laughs> for me is russell's girlfriend but russell is preppy russell so i got that much oh okay. she plays uh, a society member in society so oh. yeah all i know of society is the butt yeah oh you've never oh. seen it oh i've Joe. never seen it oh, oh it's a and you refuse to let me program it so i i still have not seen I it. i saw it for the first time like a year and a half ago and i was like that's a good viewing for like five years <laughs> yes i believe that's what you said when i tried to program it this year you were like no i'm not watching that again for another couple of years society is like the best 90210 episode and then it gets fucking like an acid trip at the end for like 50, the, the last like 10 minutes tops like it's like <laughs> yeah I'll still take it. I mean, you're describing half of the horror films that we watch. No, I agree. I just, again, I wasn't ready to rewatch Society because Yuzna to me is an acquired taste. Um, I don't love reanimated like everyone else does. So it's like one of those things. It's like, I got to be in the, I got to be forced to do it or I got to be in the mood. Oh, Pride or Reanimated. Have you seen that? Yeah, I've mm-hmm. seen all of them. I've seen that one. And um, what's the third one? Beyond Reanimator? Yeah, I've seen that yes. one too. <laughs> Yeah. Wow, you sound so thrilled. I think so I, thrilled. I, I appreciate the creativity. I just, it's not really for me. But we'll discuss mm. them one day. We'll discuss them one day. Okay. Sure. In the meantime, let's talk about Scream for the 18th time, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, let's cut to the present day, which apparently is uh, closer to the year 2000 than anyone ever imagined. <laughs> and uh, we are reintroduced now to a teenage Tina, who is played by Lar Park Lincoln, and she is being accompanied by her mother, Amanda, Susan Blue. I like her mother, actually, a lot. I wish that the, oh, yeah. I wish the mother had more to do, and her death always guts me, because I'm just like, I wish, like, 
I wish there was more of you in this movie. I mean, that is the problem with all of these characters, except maybe Tina, is that you just need a little bit more of them. Like, I would take a hour, 40 minute version of this film with a little bit more character development and fewer people in camping equipment. Yeah, stuff. You, well, you, you oh, God, yeah, you could cut out four to five of the kills slash characters in this movie and yeah. really flesh out the ones you have. Yeah, that's my big complaint. That's, for me, why it's a two and a half. Because I'm just like, there's too many people. And I get it. You want to kill a bunch of people because it's a Friday the 13th movie. But, like, I don't know who anyone is. And that's a huge problem. So the the MPAA removes a bunch of the kills. And now you guys want to remove them? (laughs) (laughs) I want to remove the characters wholesale. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Okay, so Tina and her mom are driving to this cottage, which is actually owned by the film's true villain, Dr. Cruz, who is played by Terry Kaiser. Okay, wait, y'all. Weekend at Bernie's. I have never seen Weekend at Bernie's 1 or 2. Never. Same. I know what they are. I know what they're about. And so when I look up this guy, and I'm like, oh, Mm -hmm. he's he's the titular Bernie. (laughs) Yeah. I always thought he was older. Yeah, I did too. Well, when is Weekend at Bernie's? Is it after this? It's after, it's after yeah. Like yeah. two years, right. I think. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because I was like, oh, that's very firmly in 90s. But this is very firmly in late 80s film as well. I actually want to say the first one might be 89. Like, it's like the year after this, but I could be wrong. Oh, my God. This is scintillating for people to listen to because they're definitely not going to be yelling at us. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, well, also, also, I mean, like, you know, we, we had the recap in the beginning and it takes a, a little over three minutes. Oh, yeah. Oh, I clocked that shit, Greg. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, so that, because I was like, this movie's 88 minutes. Mm-hmm. So it's like 84, and then you have the credits. But this was the first uh, Friday the 13th to come out two years after the last one, because they were putting oh, out every one. year. Yeah. And so I guess they were like, oh, well, maybe people just fucking fell on a stump and forgot about Jason lives, so we'll just show you everything. No, because no, because every fucking movie in this franchise does that. That's not even fair to say because I was shocked that the recap was only three minutes because I think the I think the opening of two is like the entire climax of one replayed. I mean, we're True. not talking Silent Night, Deadly Night two. Here, no, folks. let's not take this film too far to task. <laughs> no, but I was like, oh, it's only three minutes. That's good. And then I was like, oh wait, then we have two minutes of credits. <laughs> Yeah. So it's That's really five, five minutes. minutes of characters. You could have five more minutes of, you know, Ben. This is true. Yeah. Your yes. boy, Eddie. Oh, man. Ben and Kate, which, great name, by the way, if anyone watched that sitcom. But Ben and Kate have nothing to do in this movie except be there for a scene, be black, and then die. Oh, it's quintessential 80s black horror characters, and it's really bad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, but we're not there yet. No, we're not. We're almost there yet, because technically these teens are hanging around. They are the neighbors of Dr. Cruz, but he has no time or interest in them because he is too busy testing Tina's powers with matches. It's like he's giving this infantile child matches and telling her to start fires. Like, you're a bad doctor. I actually love the Carrie-Jason stuff, and I think it's a really good match. (laughs) No pun intended. The thing that's silly to me is it just seems to underestimate everything Tina can do. It's always it's very base portrayals of what a psychic is. Like, oh, she gets stressed out. Oops, something happens. Like, it's so there's nothing innovative with this concept outside of that it is a psychic girl. Yeah. Well, all the I mean, all the trailers. You know, I'm like I watched all of them on uh, on mm-hmm. the uh, on the Blu-ray, and I mean they set it up like Jason's met his match, Jason right. versus Tina, and like. You go in this movie, like, expecting a climax of, you know, these two going at it. So, I mean, 
I like he tries to like reinvent the wheel. It's just kind of giving you like, oh, Jason has finally met his match, mm-hmm. and it's yeah. this this girl named Tina. <laughs> it's this girl. He does for no. I, when we get to this climax, I will tell you right now. I love the showdown between them. I think it's fucking fantastic. Mm-hmm. Oh sure, because it's one of the only parts of this film that hasn't been completely gutted in the editing slash MPAA. Well, mm-hmm. up until a certain daddy point. Uh, yeah, yeah, of course. But yes, so she does meet Nick here, played by Kevin Spurtis, and uh, they get off on the wrong foot, so you know it's a little bit of a meet-cute, blah, blah, blah. Okay, Tina is all about missing her dad. This is really hard for her. She doesn't <laughs> want to be back here. She's all about missing her dead dad that she killed. Yeah, um, I do want to point out a fun little set design. Why does Dr. Cruz have what appears to be a, like, one-fifth, two-scale model of a train on his desk in this office? Okay, I guess they haven't been to this house since the dad died ten years ago. That's the implication. Because but this are... is Dr. Cruz's house, isn't it? No, it's her childhood. It's, it's her oh, childhood it? okay. home. Okay. But there are cobwebs, and not even cobwebs, but flat-out, like, <laughs> spider webs everywhere like they go to a coat rack and there's a spider web connecting the coat rack to the wall and i'm like i mean i guess they haven't been here in 10 years or seven years but <laughs> okay for airbnbs so they didn't they didn't rent it out to anybody yeah exactly oh my god i'm now just picturing it's like jason versus tina versus spiders like giant spiders that have been living in this house for the last man. 10 years write it joe write it Eight-legged uh, yeah basically that's what it is They've all been mutated because of whatever is in the water. Well, actually, you know, because if we do that, we can do Jason mutating with the spider because in Leprechaun 4 in space, that one oh, doctor no. does merge with a scorpion. So it's kind of the same thing. Oh, dear. I've never I seen dare. those movies. Oh, my God. They're not good. <laughs> <laughs> they're definitely not good. But we, we can cover a couple of those on the podcast in the future. One day. Yeah. One day. <laughs> right around the time we cover society. Well, that, yes. that's, actually, that, that's our next Sunday marathon of franchises is Leprechaun. Oh, fuck <laughs> off. Okay, let's move, let's move this on. I will say Leprechaun Returns is actually quite fun, the newest one. But anyway, continue. There are too many tangents in this episode, and we are two paragraphs in. You're fine. Go, 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 go. <laughs> All right, so she runs down to the pier and she's like, Daddy, we actually get a flashback to the opening. And I'm like, movie, you have been on for five minutes. Don't flash back to the opening scene. I haven't forgotten. It really thinks we're dumb. It really does. It's like, these teenagers only want the tits in the ass and the blood. So we have to remind them what happened. There's quite a bit of titty and bush in this movie. I mean, I'll allow it. No dick, though. There's never dick. Never dick. In the gayest film... Actually, yeah, I don't think any of these films, any Friday film, none of them have a dick in it, I don't think. I mean, all the dick was off screen, if you know what I'm saying. Oh! On this one <laughs> specifically, yeah. Well, yeah. the final chapter has a guy killed in the shower, so they wasted that chance. Oh my god, I love that death, too. <laughs> but Okay, so she's done on this pier, she's crying her eyes out, and she's like, oh, I wish you could come back, Poor and me. then... Magically, she revives Fish Tank Jason Voorhees, who is played by Kane Hodder, and then she is so freaked out that she passes out. Oh, yeah, so so basically, we're to believe she passes out, he walks by her, Mm -hmm. and just goes into the woods. No, he, I think think he emerges on the opposite end. Oh, so he couldn't make his way over there. (laughs) Yeah, he's just like, I'll let you sleep, I'm gonna go butcher (laughs) random campers. He's a killer who can't swim. That's fair, that's fair. (laughs) We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, 
Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Yeah, okay, so she's down and out, but uh, when she awakens, she tells Mom and Dr. Cruz, and they're like, no, you're fine, it was a hallucination. So she says, fine, fuck you, and she goes to hang out with Nick, which is very displeasing to Dr. Cruz, because he apparently wants to do nothing but test her all weekend. I don't know what his plan is. Well, he wants to monetize her psychic power, so he's kind of like training her to be like a weapon for the government. God, what is this? A secret X-Men movie? Kind of. Does he think yeah. that she's Ooh. Jean Grey? <laughs> no, that 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 kind of is what this is. <laughs> but that's like that's what I'm saying though, right? Like you either keep that and excise the extra teens or you mm-hmm. excise this weird plot and then keep the extra teens and give them more to do. Okay. I mean say excise again. Excise. Good. Okay. I love it. <laughs> excise your uh... dick. Excise your cock. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. Holy, that escalated. I'm trying in a sexual way. It didn't really work. (laughs) MPAA. This podcast has now been censored. (laughs) All right. So while all of this shit is happening, we're also cross-cutting with the adventures of one, Michael, who is played by William Butler, as well as his girlfriend, Jane, who is played by Stacey Greason. I was literally like, who are these people? (laughs) Who are these people? We don't know. They're introduced just having sex, and then we cut back to Tina and her mom and Dr. Cruz, and you just think... Did they splice in some porn footage in this? The answer is maybe. I mean, it's just weird. But yeah, th- th- this is the the birthday boy. This is the birthday mm-hmm. boy. And I honestly like... But we I, don't know that. I've <laughs> never known that until I was doing research for this movie. <laughs> I only figured it out when they kept referring like, oh, Michael's going to be coming. Where is he? He's late. And then I realized, oh, he ain't coming because he's been dead for a while. Wait, you guys... Did, no, they, they established that it's Michael's birthday because he all of a sudden is like, fuck it, we're going to camp woods or woods. And she's like, oh, but we're so close. And then she finally just has to be like, they're all waiting for you. It's your birthday. And that's when they decide to walk the five miles. God, Greg, you paid so much more attention than I did. No, because, yeah, that, that's <laughs> when we get the sign that says Crystal Lake five miles away. But, yeah, it's right. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, important to know, because they are out of the car, and this is when Jason gets them. So he stabs Jane through the neck, mm-hmm. and it's really good, or it would be if you could see the if gore. See it, yeah. And then he chases Michael. And I actually really like this subversion, because normally we're so used to seeing men die quickly, mm-hmm. and women get the chase sequences, and I like the inversion of this. So Michael gets his own chase scene, and then he gets stabbed in the back, and it looks painful. Well, it would look painful if we can see it. Yeah. Right, yes. I mean, that's just the refrain. Like, rinse, lather, repeat with that comment for every fucking death. <laughs> but, but, but no, that, that's a fair assessment, Joe, so I will give that to you. You are correct. I mean, I don't want to get stabbed in the back. I'd rather get stabbed through the neck. Just saying. Um, I feel like if I got stabbed in the back, though, it would, like, cut off all, like, your nerves, so you wouldn't feel anything. What the fuck? I want to see who's killing me. <laughs> Dewey says differently. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> So so they're dead. Yay. Our first uh, major kills in the movie are counted for. So we are back at the cottages. Tina is still partying. So let's meet everyone. Okay. Here we go. Give us a list. We have mean girl Melissa, who is played by Susan Jennifer Sullivan. Sidebar. I love her. Yeah, she's great. She's great. People apparently don't like her. And I'm just like, but she's I mean, the bitch. How do you not like her? You're not supposed to like her. But like, again, like. 
I like her. <laughs> well, she she kind of she has like this weird embodiment of uh, Missy Farmer and Barbara Crampton. Like she, yes. I think she is likable, but like, yes, yeah. And then she pulls that like weird straight jacket joke, <laughs> and it's just like no yeah. one else is laughing or not no. laughing. No one else in the room is laughing. No, no. She's definitely one of those people where you wonder if any of her friends actually like her. <laughs> Did she just get invited to this party because somebody felt sorry for her? We don't know. Mm. Well, she comes from money, so she yeah, has to she, be there. You can tell because she's wearing them pearls. Wikipedia mm. describes her as snobby socialite Melissa. Right. Yeah. I mean, we don't even know whose cottage this is, but I kind of assumed it was hers. I... Uh, no, it's the it's the Wall Street guy. Oh it's my god, uncle. Russell. Yeah, it's his uncle. Oh my god, Preppy Russell. Okay. Preppy yeah. Russell. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, so Melissa, she's mean. Then there's sci-fi writer Eddie, who is played by Jeff Bennett. Love him. Yeah, there is Preppy Russell, or Rich Russell, I guess, played by Larry Cox. He has a girlfriend named Sandra, Heidi Kozak. We have Redhead Robin, who is played by Elizabeth Kiten. I called her Big Mouth. Rude. No, like, she, <laughs> she, she just has a big mouth. Like, it's very large. And she reminds me of uh, Haley Williams from Paramore. Oh, like the singer, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. That's lost on Trace. He doesn't have music. No, I mean, I, 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 I've wow. heard, I've heard of Paramore, but I could not tell you anything else. Yeah, like if he saw her in the Josie and the Pussycats, like walking across the street, and he held up the album cover, he would be like, "No, I don't know if that's Paramore." Yeah, I don't know. If it is. <laughs> First, <laughs> uh, okay. We also have Dickish Stoner David, who is played by John Renfield. We have Ugly Glasses Maddie, played by Diana Burrows. She's so hideous. <laughs> She's totally fugly until she gets a rockin' makeover. She's yeah, really she great in uh, My Mom's a Werewolf. Oh, okay. I've never seen it. I liked her a lot. She was, like, my favorite character. I really like her, and I hate that she dies so early. Like, her her arc, because it's her, and it's Eddie, whenever, whenever he tells Melissa, he's like, you think I'm cute? Like, oh my god. I, I died. <laughs> it's so good. Well, she gets a really tragic death oh, because yeah, she, she does is. the whole makeover and then she goes looking for david yeah. and then she stumbles somewhere she loses an earring and then that's when she starts to get like jsd so i don't know if, if y'all saw this but there is an extra scene there's a deleted scene where she walks in on robin making out with david and she gets yeah. pissed and that's then when she goes and finds russell's body which again why is that scene i don't know this movie? it doesn't make any sense it's a good scene it's an important scene mm. It explains why the fuck she's outside. Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> yes, and there's two more characters, but they are not of note because this movie sucks when it comes to its people of color. So there is Ben, played by Craig Thomas, as well as his girlfriend Kate, Diane Almeida, and they don't have personalities. No. They are just black. That is what this movie thinks, and it sucks. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. I was baffled. Oh, all of these other characters at least have a characteristic, and these two, I think the movie was like, black cool let's well, move on yeah i mean if you watch the deleted scene of his death he also gets oh the best oh, that death is good a, a really great death but i mean yeah. it's also like kind of the grisliest i mean they like mm -hmm. constructed an entire head that was like a packing peanut and then you just watch it get crushed and i mean if, if that was added it would have been it would have made that scene just like oh yes. kiss. yeah 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 okay so that is our crew, and Tina is hanging out, having a great time, until she catches a psychic glimpse of Jason killing Michael. Oh, that sounds like a franchise crossover. Yeah. Uh, but then she she leaves the party, and Dr. Cruz is like, cool, you're still delusional, which is awesome. Yep. Okay, so then we have... 
I mean, I debated whether or not to even include this part, except that it has one of the most infamous skills in the movie. We have characters who are apparently named Dan, played by Michael and Judy. Schroeder, and Judy, played by <laughs> Deborah Kessler. They are just a random couple sleeping in a tent. They get killed by Jason, and it's lots of fun because this is the infamous sleeping bag kill. Yeah, she, I think she calls out, she's like, hurry back, you big stud. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you big hunk of a man, come and get me. Yeah, and then he's getting firewood. He gets it, but yeah, the sleeping bag kill. Uh, I didn't realize it came from this film. Yeah, because I had seen it. Jason X first. Oh no, that's a uh, what they would say is an, an homage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but if you watch the deleted scene of this sleeping bag kill, it's oh, it's also very good. Yeah, it's crazy. It's like uh, it's like they just filled the sleeping bag with blood, and there's like a slow mo swing. Yes. I disagree that it's better. I mean, I don't think it's worse, but like, yes, you're right. They filled the sleeping bag with gallons of blood, but there wasn't enough blood in the uncut version. Like, there's like the last shot where you see blood like kind of spew out of the end of the sleeping bag, but it mm-hmm. wasn't enough for me to be like, oh, like, I can see why that was cut. Like, this was the tamest of the uncut deaths for me. Yeah, but I mean, I think there's something about the blood being contained within the sleeping right. bag, almost as if like it's this apparatus that like you're squeezing you know like it's a piping bag of frosting and i think that <laughs> like the way it smears the yellow of the sleeping bag i think like it's mm. it feels gruesome because i think like when you watch the edited version it's one swing a thud and then she's on the ground yeah it's over so quickly yeah yeah, yeah. also greg i must commend you on bringing your culinary linguistics into the podcast <laughs> the piping bag thank you for not... <laughs> referencing the piping bag <laughs> uh Okay, so they are done, and then we're just back to our main crew. We watch Nick and Tina. They're bonding. They're skipping rocks. And then she comes back to the cottage, and she attacks Melissa because Melissa is being a bitch. Her and Nick's relationship kind of goes from, like, 0 to 60 because they're just having sort of minor flirtations, and then she's like, I watched my dad die, you know? And he's (laughs) just like, oh, shit. This is not first date material, Tina. I know that you've been out of the game for a few years but you know maybe reveal the trauma in little bits yeah sprinkle it i mean or you do you i don't want to tell someone how to talk about their trauma but (laughs) it seems a little early considering she doesn't know fuck all about this guy no uh (laughs) you know he's some guy who you know celebrating who is Is his cousin his cousin yeah yeah I love the idea that Nick doesn't really care about Tina. Like, in my hypothesis, he doesn't actually care about her. He's just so desperate to get away from Melissa because Melissa is, like, wanting to get on that dick so badly. (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, she's, you know, uh, a bit suffocating, um, which I think is, it's weird when Tina sort of psychically attacks her because Mm -hmm. she doesn't, like, strangle her with her beads. She just kind of lets it float around her neck and then it snaps. Yeah. Uh, Tina, girl, you gotta you gotta work on that uh, intimidation train. factor. Yeah. You gotta weaponize that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is literally what you're here to do, according to Dr. Cruz. Like, don't just levitate the pearls, use them to strangle this bitch. <laughs> yeah, so she is obviously freaked out by the fact that she used her powers to attack someone, so Tina goes home, and she tells Dr. Cruz that she needs to leave, mm-hmm. and he says no, so she throws a TV at him. I, I, lo- I wrote, she throws a TV at him. <laughs> Which like a 1988 TV, this A would be fucking heavy and also pricey. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay, so let's get to more people who don't matter. We are going to go skinny dipping with Sandra. She's chewing gum while she's in the water, which seems like a very bad idea. 
and also Russell. <laughs> he looks like he's about to go and play a round of tennis. And he gets a machete to the face, and then she gets pulled well, underwater. Joe, this is where your costuming comes into play, right? Because otherwise, without his sweater or cardigan that's tied over his neck, like how would mm-hmm. we know he was preppy and rich? How would I know that he's gay? Yes, correct. <laughs> well, he, he, he mentions, I think, in one of the scenes, stock market or Wall Street or some crap mm-hmm. like that. Yes, yeah. I'm literally jacking off right now with my hands. <laughs> oh, to Wall Street. Mm. <laughs> money. Chase that money. <laughs> um, I actually really love uh, Sandra's death because... Oh, it's upsetting. Wait, it's really? Upsetting. I think it's good. I think it's understated. That's Crazy. what was I that, was that you? Was that you finishing? Or... Surprise! <laughs> because I I love that she's in the middle of the lake, which I think is you know is super vulnerable, and she just kind of sees Russell's body, and yeah. she starts to scream, and then yeah, I think uh, you know Joe referencing Creature from the Black Lagoon, like I love the shot of just sort of Jason going up and pulling her. I mean, oh, the camera really is like under her, and it moves up, and like you're almost seeing what you shouldn't be seeing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I there's just something terrifying about seeing someone down the beach, and it's like, where the fuck are you gonna go? Yeah, I don't disagree. I mean, I do think, yeah, you're right. Like, yeah, when you're in the ocean or the water, any body of water that's dark, you don't know what's below you. My issue is that she's just sitting there flailing, like she's not moving. She's just like going. Bah! She's swimming, Trace. She's not swimming. She's not <laughs> swimming. She's flailing in one spot. <laughs> that's swimming. She is treading water. I mean, I think of the remake from 2009 that kind of evokes the scene where the girl falls into the water and then she's like, I don't know which direction to go in. And she just kind of like stays there until she dies. Mm -hmm. I just think if I saw a killer on shore who can probably walk to where I'm going to swim faster than I can get there, it's like, what do I do? Just tread water until I die? Yeah. I don't know. I never thought Jason took swim lessons, but he gets under her real quick. Yeah. Or maybe he power walks on the bottom of the pond. Like like a Land of the Dead zombie. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, okay, so they are dead. And then we are back with the neighbors. So this is where we kind of take a break from Tina for a little bit. So we get the Robin and the Maddie drama where they're both competing for David's affection. Robin wins. Uh, she very cruelly tells Maddie that she should make herself over. And this is where like seeing maddie discover robin and david making out would make more sense to include it's really puzzling to me because i, I like i like this e plot is what i'll call it right <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i just like it i mean it, it gives these characters something to do which is a nice change of pace for them yeah i just think david's kind of uh oh he's the worst he's insufferable you know i mean he's like your quintessential rockabilly stoner Mm-hmm. But there's just nothing desirable about him. So like when Robin and and Maddie are sort of butting heads, why are they fighting over him? Yeah, like your your friendship means more than this fucking turd. Uh, but yeah, I, I there's a lot of sex in this movie, so like you don't really need it. Mm-hmm. I will say though, when they are sleeping together, David and Robin, when he tells her, "You know what I like about you? You hardly sweat at all." <laughs> like that is not a line i ever want to hear someone tell me and certainly not after we've had sex yeah well then he does this like kind of cute little like kiss on the nose before he goes to get some you know grub where he ultimately dies oh it's so patronizing (laughs) it's like okay thanks for the sex smooch i mean she didn't seem to care she was fine with it she oh she couldn't stop laughing 
<laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> I put in my notes, the joke is not that funny. Or, I'm sorry, him falling out of the bed is not that funny. <laughs> You're just not stoned, Trace. Yeah, clearly, clearly. I had to assume that she was high on that endorphin rush from, like, the good dickin' or something. Because, yeah, I was like, uh, he just fell over. <laughs> he pumped some THC right into that badge. Right. Wow. Uh, ew. <laughs> Can you imagine? What if semen was THC? Uh, must we? Yeah, I just told you to. <laughs> I mean, I think a lot. I think a lot more guys would not cringe at consuming their own spunk. There we go. Uh, I'm sorry. No, publicly cringe because you know all of them do it. They just don't want to admit it. Oh, I, I, every guy, you know, at some point in their life should be forced to consume their own cum. You know, like you can't expect somebody <laughs> to eat it and then be like, Thank "Ew, you. ew, ew." If you're ever going to criticize someone for either spitting or swallowing, then yeah, you should be forced to be like, well, what does this actually taste like? Let me get a little Dixie cup like you get at the gelato (laughs) sample and just give it a little taste. That's interesting because for me, like before I had ever tasted my own semen before, I'd always been curious about it. But the second I actually like climax, I was like, oh, the desire is gone. So I always had to make sure that when I was like about to climax, that it was just aimed at my mouth so I just had it ready to go. Otherwise I would be like, pull out and like, not do it. Wait, <laughs> I'm, I'm imagining how does this work? Have you, Okay, so I'm picturing you on your back with your legs like yeah. crawled uh-huh. up the wall. Yeah. Okay. Yep, yep, yep. okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. Wait, so you aimed it at your mouth, Yeah. and you're saying that you're a sharpshooter and you got it in there. Yeah, yeah. You didn't lick it off somebody? No, you can fold your no, body no, like you a just <laughs> you just lift your legs up and you just aim your dick in your mouth and you just go. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so what we've established is that Trace is a range person. I feel like that's what we've discovered. Yeah, I know it's 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 a long shot, but that's all. So that matter, I'm signing <laughs> for my OnlyFans for the rest of the details. Right, or just the regular Patreon. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm, I'm just picturing the opening of a short bus now. Yeah, oh, Ooh. actually, no, k- kind of very much like that. That's what it is. Yeah. Does it also involve singing the American National Anthem? Mm. That wasn't a rim job scene. <laughs> I know, but it's my favorite scene in that movie. Oh, yeah, I'm sure it is. It's <laughs> <laughs> hilarious. Anyway, back to part seven. I'm just saying, people literally said on the Facebook group that they want more cum discussion, so there you go. We are responsive to your listener feedback. I milked that for all it was worth. And I will even give them some more. Give them a baguette, Greg. Give them a baguette. Yeah, here's my loaf. I think <laughs> that I think that every guy should also care about what their cum tastes like. You know, don't be gorging yourself on roast beef and then expect somebody to swallow that gross, salty shit. You know, have some mango, have some pineapple. Eat a, eat you know? a fucking pineapple. Yeah. It's, all, it's all about the citrus. I will never eat mango, but I will do all the citrus. It's fine. Oh, my God. No, mango with the skin on, just eat like an apple. It is what? great. Oh, oh my, my god. god. Wait, wait, I'm sorry, it tastes great or it's good for your semen or both? I think um, both are AMB. Yeah. yeah. AMB. <laughs> also, Trace, your level of disgust with the suggestion of eating a mango compared to tasting mangoes. your own semen is just impressive, sir. Why are you yeah. implying that semen is grosser than a mango? A mango is way grosser than semen. I just think it's the act of you sharpshooting your mouth with your dick. I've never <laughs> I've never, I mean, granted, when I was doing it, I never used the phrase sharpshooting in my mouth. <laughs> no, but we did, and that's what matters. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm just picturing, like, a video drum dick spraying you in the face and you being like, oh, so that's what it tastes like. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, no, you just have to aim it in your mouth, you guys. It's not that hard. 
So that night, Dr. Cruz finds Michael's body in the woods. But he says nothing because he's a psychopath and he doesn't care about anything except weaponizing Tina. This rightfully distresses Tina's mother and Tina overhears it. So she steals the car like a good teenager, but then she crashes it because she sees a vision of Jason impaling her mother with a machete. It's just a whole big to do. Apparently this this vision was supposed to be a vision of Jason holding Betsy Palmer's head. But that's another thing that sex oh, put the kibosh on. Really? Huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh. I do feel like that would have changed the dynamic of this. Yeah, because then we wouldn't see... I mean, I, I get it. We're supposed to see the mom's death before it happens, but I'm like, why don't we care about this? Like, imagine this haunting image of Jason holding his mother's head. Like, that would be fucking cool. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think that with Jason Lives, with his whole uh, utility belt, it would be really cool <laughs> if he somehow jammed the carabiner into his mom's head and then wore it around his belt and always <gasps> oh walked God. around. Wow. Yes, yes. Be fucking okay, terrifying. that is never getting past the MPAA in the 80s. I'm Monday, sorry. No. You mean walking around with your dead mom's head yeah. on your belt? Mm. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, nowadays, sure, but... I'm here. <laughs> All right, so let's go back to poor Maddie. She has either discovered her friends having sex or not, and she has wandered outside into the woods. And this is where she, yes, drops her earring, and then Russell's body also drops, and she runs into the tool shed, and she gets sickled. Russell's body gets a lot of mileage in this movie, because people keep finding it. (laughs) It's Michael and Russell, right? Because it's usually Michael's body that they've been finding, isn't it? Well, Michael was, like, jammed in between two trees, and that's when uh, Nick and Tina found him. And Dr. Cruz. Um, I can't recall, because Dr. Cruz gets his stomach buzzsawed open. Oh, no, I mean Dr. Cruz finds Michael's body. That's what he doesn't say anything about. So I think Michael's body gets more play than Russell's. This is so illuminating. I apologize. Russell's like that, you know, that bag of money that you stumble upon, you know? He's just there. (laughs) Do you mean because he's made of money? Yes, it's the Wall Street connection. I'm circling back around. <laughs> I'm just imagining if his body like fell to the ground and just like turned into coins. Oh, it was just like bitcoins poured out of him. <laughs> yes, that'd be so good. <laughs> uh, so, needless to say, yes, Maddie has died. I do quite like the length of this particular chase scene. Like Jason really dispatches people very quickly in this movie, and I like that this one is a bit of a stock and slash. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it also it also disrupts the idea that you die based off the sin of having sex or doing drugs, because Maddie right. does neither. She's, mm-hmm. you know, sort of cock-blocked. She doesn't smoke weed, yet she gets the longest, sort of, most Drawn anguished out. death. Yeah. yeah, and I really do like Maddie. Yeah. It's the sin of pride. She wanted to look more beautiful. <sighs> Don't we Which all? is, like, a shitty thing to do to a woman as well. So, yay, Jason Part (laughs) 7. Still like it, though. (laughs) Okay, so Nick finds Tina, and they're, like, making their way back. And meanwhile, Amanda and Dr. Cruz find this wrecked car. And Jason is out and about, but he's sensing that the fucking is going down. So he has to rush back to the cottage so that he can take care of Ben and Kate in the van where they are having sex. So as you alluded to earlier, Greg, Ben gets his head crushed and then Mm. Kate gets stabbed in the face by a party horn. And what the fuck is that? Yeah, I wrote kazoo in my notes, but I don't think it's a kazoo. kazoo, Maybe. Like, where would Jason have even gotten this from? Oh, they, they had him in the van. Uh, for mm. some reason, they were like lined on the walls of a van. But okay, I guess you know, new blood taught me what a kazoo was. 
because there it's not a kazoo. Oh, okay. <laughs> you were like, <laughs> I had to look it up because this is not what I think it is. Yeah, I was like, is kazoo spelled with a K or a C? I don't know. K? Yeah, yeah I think so. Yes, okay. So, um, oh my God, who even are these characters? So, Eddie has been rejected by Melissa, and he doesn't care because he's been rejected by some of the finest science fiction <laughs> magazines. <laughs> Oh, Eddie, keeping it real. Then Jason takes up a light and he enters the house. This is when he kills David, who is getting his post-coital snack in the kitchen. And then he takes care of Eddie, who has been reading a newspaper ad about personal penis enlargers. And he gets it in the neck. The penis enlarger is just a magnifying glass. That's it. Yeah. I just, I love Eddie so much. It's so sad to see him go. <laughs> okay, so Trace, explain this, because is it just a physical thing? Because Eddie isn't a character to me. I'm not no, sure okay, no. why you like him so much. For me, it's that scene earlier when Melissa flirts with him, and he's like, you really think I'm cute? It's just that one line, it's that one line of humanity, and then to see the embarrassment on his face when she fucking like tells him, oh, I was just lying about all this, I didn't care mm-hmm. about you. Like... It's not anything he does particularly outside of that one line, but it's just, it's so sad and it's really relatable. And also he calls her a cunt when she leaves the room. Oh God, does he? Yes. Oh my God. So basically (laughs) he's sitting on the couch downstairs before Jason comes down and she walks outside and he goes, cunt. No, no, he's reading um, a card that she wrote to Michael and he reads it and then he's like, cunt. But she's like, she's like right behind him leaving. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. really? Okay. Yeah, it's, it's awkward. Kind nice. Of. Awkward or amazing? <laughs> Both in equal measure. No, but it's it, it, it just, it, he, like Maddie, he's the underdog of this film. And, I mean, again, not given enough to do by far, but the little tidbits they do give him, like he and Maddie are the two characters, like the side characters that I latched onto the most. So you, you like characters who don't get laid, is what you're saying? No, I mean, but just like, <laughs> not, <laughs> um, not necessarily, it's just like, it's a little bit of humanity that yeah. this film injects into them. Whereas, like, again, look at anyone else. Look at Russell. Look at Sandra. Look at Ben. Look at Kate. Look at Michael. Look at Judy. Like, they're not given anything to do. Whereas, at least there's something that's attempted here. So, it, it's grading on the scale of this movie. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah, I mean, uh, I like him as a character, or a cliche, or like an archetype. But I think mm-hmm. when he plays into Melissa's joke, he's a little bit too just willing to do anything the hot chick wants to do yeah but you know i I see what you mean i just wish it was maybe crispin glover because i think it would have brought more charisma to it than this actor it feels like he's trying to tap into a little bit of crispin glover energy doesn't it oh yeah no yeah yeah for sure Hmm. interesting I mean, praise anybody who's trying to do anything remotely interesting with their character in here, because the writing isn't going to help them. So any little thing that they can do to just stand out a bit. That's kind of where I go to where I'm like, okay, they wanted this to be an Oscar contender with like high, like quality directors and whatever. What did the screenplay look like? Like, did they change it after they got Beekler on? Or did they just say, oh, this was it the whole time. (laughs) A director's going to make this really shine. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of crazy that Daryl Haney ended up doing writing six uh, Roger Corman movies after this. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's very telling. Oof. True. I mean, I'm not saying I don't like Roger Corman, but he is known for a certain kind of film. Right. No, I, I, get, I get that. You're not disparaging his work. You're just saying it's a certain type of film. Mm-hmm. 
Yes. Yeah, that, you know, and I'm sure Daryl Hanny probably worked for fucking Corman Chief, you know? Oh, sure. Everybody oh, did. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Corman paid people in, like, peanuts and back rubs, I think. Mm. Ooh, that sounded bad. And mangoes. I don't mean back rubs like sexual predatory things. I mean, like, let's move on. <laughs> um, <clears throat> the Corman back rub. God. The Corman back rub. You know, patented, as yes. it is. So, speaking of ridiculous... There's a cat scare in this movie. Oh my god. No. I okay, this scene goes on for fucking ever. Like <laughs> Robin is walking around this house forever for a cat scare. And mm-hmm. it wouldn't bother me as much if we didn't already have a cat scare in part 2. And it's a natural cat scare in that one too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, in, yeah. In the opening scene before Alice gets killed. Like, why are we dipping back into this well? Now granted this was actually a reshot death scene. Not just like a oh they cut stuff out. She originally gets um, hit in the stomach with a machete, but they thought in the mm. footage that the, the chest piece moved. So they were like, oh, let's reshoot it. And Kane Hodder was like, why don't we just throw her out the window? And everyone's really praising Kane Hodder for that suggestion, but I'm going to be the one to argue that this death sucks. It does, yeah. I like the visual of her going out the window in slow-mo because I love people getting thrown out windows, mm-hmm. and this franchise is famous for that, but... It's not on par with the other kind of deaths. Yeah, I mean, I, I look at, like, Sarah Michelle Gellar being thrown off the balcony in Scream 2, and it's like, oh. uh, I feel like that's warranted given the the length of her chase, but here mm-hmm. it's it, it drags, you know? And I feel like for a character who sort of ruins Maddie's night, yeah. <laughs> she should she deserved, if, if she's going to die, she deserves something a bit more gruesome. Oh. That's actually a problem, though. Yeah, the characters that deserve the harshest deaths because of the editing, like, don't get the harshest deaths in this movie. That's a big mm. problem. Yeah. I don't know that Ben deserved the death he gets, guys. <laughs> no, he, no, 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 I agree. I agree. No, I, I, oh, well, yeah, sorry. I, I'm talking about Melissa, Dr. Cruz, and I guess Robin. Right, okay. And David. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I wanted so much more from David's death. Because I think he's, like, the biggest prick in this film. Apart it's from really Cruz. fast. It's too fast. It goes by so fast, it happens that he just falls to the ground, and it's mm-hmm. like, oh, we're not getting any, even, like, intestines out of this? Okay, no. like, we're just no. done, I guess. Jason's being lazy. Yeah. <laughs> Can't even stay to watch well, the blood. is he lazy or is he efficient? Because he got, well, got fucking 8,000 more characters to kill, so might as well move on. <laughs> I mean, he is True. hustling through these murders. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so speaking of Jason, he is now stalking Amanda and Dr. Cruz in the woods, and this is when Dr. Cruz sacrifices Amanda so that he can buy himself more time. Like, a literal fucking human shield. Like, take mm-hmm. her! Yeah. <laughs> this is a Cindy's right! Take Jan moment! Well, and she's, like, pleading with him. She's like, no, 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 and it's, it's yeah, it's heartbreaking. Yeah, I, I agree, and I wish that we had more time to deal with this, or even mm-hmm. Tina's, like, fallout. Because I know that Tina finds out that her mom is dead, but mm-hmm. there's never a moment for any kind of, like, grieving about her mother's death. Mm-hmm. No. And, and again, her mother is likable. Her mother's, at this point of the film, is on her side. Yes. So even with the uncut footage where we get to see her die gorily, I still kind of hate that it happens here, or there's no moment between her and Tina. And maybe that's the Mm -hmm. point, but it does rub me the wrong way. Yeah, it's very similar to what we just talked about with Robin. It feels like it doesn't have enough weight or impact to it. Like, we can't be rushing through this because it doesn't land as a result. 
this is the person that Tina trusts the most in life. And she finds the body and has to just run away. Yeah, it sucks. I mean, I mean, I, I feel like the, the mother's death should have been a catalyst for her sort of awakening this power against yes, yeah. Jason. Absolutely. But I, I mean, I guess like, would both of you prefer Tina to sort of stumble upon, like have like an off-screen death where Tina sort of discovers her mom's dead or no. this? Oh, I actually really like this because I think it tells us a lot about Dr. Cruz. We knew he mm. was bad, but I didn't realize he was willing to sacrifice people yeah, he's like, bad. He's like, he's pathetic, you know? The thing, oh, the thing yes. with this too is like, he didn't have to use her as a human shield. They could have just kept running. They had plenty mm-hmm. of time. <laughs> This is literally like hurt somebody else so that you can get away. It's like, I don't need to be the fastest person. I just need to be faster than you. They take the moment of them crouching and then Dr. Cruz sort of giving exposition as to what Tina saw, like her premonition. And it's like, you need that 10 seconds of of dialogue and then he holds her. Right. Mm, Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Like, this was all in the cards. Sorry, you gotta go. But, I mean, again, mm. yeah, it feels rushed, rightfully so, because they're working on a seven-month time frame. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> we shot yeah. it in one take, and then we moved on. <laughs> yep, there we go. <laughs> okay, so Nick discovers that the party is ruined. And... <laughs> Wait. The party is done, though. The party gentlemen. is ruined. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just imagining he walks in, finds all these corpses. Oh, oh, it's not man. a party anymore. <laughs> Just picks up a bottle of beer and turns around and walks out. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so he goes to Tina's cottage. I just have in my notes here, the score is off the hook. Do either one of you remember the score? For Tina's theme, right? I think so. So Harry Manfredini obviously does the like the score for the movie, but they brought in Fred Mullen to do some other stuff, and he is the contributor of Tina's theme, and it's awesome. I agree with you. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. Cool. I mean, I can't tell you anything about it. It's just that I, I noticed it enough to pay attention this time. Well, if, if you remember, insert a clip of it here. God, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, this episode isn't already two hours long. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, okay, so this is when Tina runs into Dr. Cruz in the woods, uh, but she runs away, and this is when he gets killed by some kind of combination electric saw or a weed whacker. So it's called a pole chainsaw. I had to look it up because I did okay. not know that it, it's a chainsaw, but it, there's a pole instead of just like the engine handle that you're holding on to. Well, like, like the machete he's using is also like this long handle, mm-hmm. but it's like still just the machete. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and this is one, too, where the uncut death shows more, like, gut spewing. And th- this is the death mm. that really needed to be the goriest, and it really sucks that we have what we have with it. Yeah. yeah I, 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 this guy deserved the brightest, the biggest mutilation. Mm-hmm. Okay, but here is the thing. Do we actually want to see Jason deliver this and not Tina? Yeah, you brought this up, Joe, and you I think you are correct. I want to see Tina, like, explode this man. Yeah, I want to see her hellraise this guy into oblivion. Mm-hmm. They might have felt like that was copying the fury a bit too much. Because oh, uh, hmm. spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen that, the end is explosive. John Cassavetes <laughs> exploding. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that, but it it just does seem weird that we don't get any kind of closure with the way that Tina feels about Doctor Cruz because right. she has to deal with this inhuman villain instead. Yeah, no, no, I, I would have I preferred a showdown 
between I them. Mean, I mean, it would have been a showdown, really, but... Here's the weird thing, and y'all might call me crazy, but let's say, let's say you can remake any of these Friday movies. Like, just one. Like, we're not going to pull a re- like the actual remake where they take the first four movies and put them in one, which I still think is good. But you remake <laughs> any of these movies because, oh, like, there was a missed opportunity here. Let's make it better. Right. Honest to God, I would pick this one to remake because I think there's enough of what? a story here <laughs> and there's enough of like something you can do to make this a really, really good movie. It's enough missed opportunities, particularly if you didn't have to contend with the MPA, right? Yeah. I mean, Trace, you've seen Jason Takes Manhattan. That yeah, fair. that's fair. That is very fair. <laughs> it's Jason on a boat. Here's the question. When Jason takes Manhattan, would you just be like, there's one scene on a boat, he kills somebody, and then the rest of the movie is in Manhattan? Um, I think, I mean, you could go so many routes. You could have him be uh, incapacitated. They're shipping him somewhere, you know, to New York City to be autopsied, to be cryo-frozen. Oh it's, it's the relic, Joe. Oh, I was actually thinking uh, it's like Dracula 2000. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Is that the Gerard Butler one? Yes. yes. It's terrible yeah. and also fun, but terrible. Jo- Johnny Lee Miller's in it, right? He is, yes. And he's, it's a great he's cast great. Yeah. and terrible. Oh, Patrick Lussier. No, the the soundtrack, though? Mm. Oh, God, no. new metal. No, moving on, no. moving on. You know what, yes. Greg? You just lost all privileges. I'm sorry. We're moving on. <sighs> Uh, Greg's like that band disturbed. Uh, <laughs> Trace is like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what about. that means. I thought he was just using the word. I'm down with the sickness. Trace is just down with shooting a load into his mouth. <laughs> rich tapestry. See, Trace, this is what we call a comeback. See how funny it is? Wow. Isn't it great? Oh wow! Did, yeah. Was that pun intended? Uh, a comeback. <laughs> I don't understand wow. the joke. Come on, my back. <laughs> Okay, so Tina discovers all of these bodies. But no, Jason Jason takes Manhattan, remake that, utilize New York. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Fair enough, fair enough. Yeah. So yeah, Joe, we get this, we find all the bodies moment. Yeah. (laughs) Because Jason has strategically laid all these bodies out in one tree for Tina to find. (laughs) I guess this is why he was cutting corners on all the deaths is because he had to keep bringing them back and stacking them up. He has one of them like nailed to the tree. I was like, okay, so he took the time to like bring out a hammer, get some nails and nail this corpse to weapons. (laughs) Yes. This guy, man. Loves his work so much. Hey, like, I, I buy Jason for an earlier doing this. I do not buy zombie Jason doing this, if that makes any sense. I just love it, because it's like the killer opening an art gallery. And he's just <laughs> hanging his art piece, you know? And he's yes. just like, I can't wait to show the world my deaths. Mm-hmm. I'm so proud of this particular <laughs> one. I'm going to put it up on this tree. Yeah, here's, here's, here's my, my A-plus a+ on a fridge. My masterpiece. And instead of using magnets, I use a hammer and nails. Oh my god. God. Alright, so this is where we get our first showdown. So Tina encounters Jason on the road. She wraps him in roots, and then she electrocutes him in a puddle of rainwater. Love it. So legit, from this moment up until the dad reveal, I think this is a fantastic climax. I love all of this. Like this is Mm -hmm. awesome. Yeah, the the evil dead roots work really well. I mean, like she she simply trips him into a puddle. Then you see her observe the the electrical wires, and then she electrocutes Mm -hmm. him. And it's like, yeah, 
I'm saying I actually even think because I know I know we've kind of been like Laura Park Lincoln like doesn't get to do much. She's not speaking for a lot of this. Yeah. I actually think her face acting when when she really starts to take control and she's like "fuck you, Jason Voorhees." I actually think it works really well here. Mm-hmm. So I, I like watching her do this lineless delivery of "fuck you, Jason Voorhees." I'm gonna kill you. Mm-hmm. I won't go as far to say that she's a bad actor. Um, I think that the way she's directed in this is to be childish right to be stuck in this time period and you know the way she sort of pantomimes or the way she acts with her face it's effective yeah that's, yeah that's fair yeah so he is not dead from all of this so we have to go back to the murder cabin and this is when he explodes through the window i do love that he's then surrounded by balloons so it's kind of <laughs> like oh michael we couldn't we couldn't get you for your party so jason balloons for your party <laughs> he's like oh shit am i interrupting something Ooh, did I need to RSVP? <laughs> Shit. And she's like, uh, you did not, bitch. So she collapses the roof porch on him. Mm. This is where I'll go back to what you said earlier, Greg, about Kane Hodder. Because obviously, if people know this movie, they know that they really didn't do anything to safely execute this stunt. They basically just dropped the roof on him and mm. he was fine. But it's like, I don't know that you could do that to anybody but Kane Hodder. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I also just don't know how many stuntmen nowadays actually become icons. Hmm. I mean, the reason he was cast, yeah, because he was in that movie that Greg mentioned earlier, Prison, and he volunteered to have maggots in his mouth. Like, that's why Beekler hired him, because he was like, that guy's gonna do anything. <laughs> this guy's game for anything, which is, like, not up to union code, but sure. Yeah. <laughs> Just like, maybe safely execute your stunts. Who are you, Michael Bay? Oof. No? Too soon? <laughs> that, that, I mean, that video's crazy. See, I always think about that South Park Imagination Line joke when they bring in Michael Bay for ideas, and he's like, and then... Yeah. <laughs> More or less. Those are special effects, not ideas. I don't understand the difference. <laughs> I know you don't. Get him out of here! <laughs> Michael Bay. Oh, God, Michael Bay. All right, so we got one person left to take care of it, and that is Melissa. So she finds Nick and Tina hiding out in the house, and she tells them, you people give me the creeps. And then she gets axed in the face and tossed over the TV like a rag doll. So this is another one. Obviously, yes, this needed to be a better death. I yeah. will also argue that even the uncut death, like, yes, we do see the axe quickly hit her in the face, but it's still not mean enough for my taste. I need this girl's face to split in half. Oh yeah, I don't know. If she, I don't know if she deserved that. What? You don't think so? She's a huge cunt. <laughs> uh, she is, but there's a part of me that wants her to have uh, not redemption, but like I don't know, like maybe to be a survivor too. Hmm. No, I, I think if we can get a scene of her, like not even reconciling with Tina, but just being like, "Oh shit, I'm sorry." Oh shit, you were right all along. Mm. Yeah. It feels hollow because it's like, okay, she's still a huge bitch. She walks <laughs> up the door and is immediately killed. Like, she gets a split-second realization of like, oh, shit, they were right. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I, that that's a big problem with me. And, again, I know it's how life goes, but I always hate that in movies and people, like, die before they know something. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think Robin is the true cunt because she's... She, <laughs> really? Uh, she, she's shocked. No, like, she's friends with Maddie. Like, they have a history. And yet she 
puts Maddie's looks down, and then she goes and has sex with David. Like, she puts Maddie in a really bad place. And I mean, they're there for the, what, the weekend? So it's like, you gotta sort of live with that. Melissa was just sort of, like, born an asshole, you know? And I don't think that... <laughs> I don't think that she, like, ruins anyone's weekend, because... No one she, cares. Th- that's what they expect, you know? Well, and also, really, she's being mean to some girl who has randomly shown up when she clearly had... Like, Melissa had plans to get with Nick this weekend. Yeah. And then suddenly, hot neighbor girl with psychokinetic power shows up, and Melissa's like, God damn it! Come on! <laughs> well, she was yeah. really mean to my boy Eddie, so... Okay, well, this is also fair. You know what? <laughs> Melissa contains multitudes. She is a complex three-dimensional character in this movie, and she goes over this TV like nobody's business. Listeners, who deserves the harsher death, Robin or Melissa? Let us know. Yeah, definitely not Dr. Cruz or anything. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which of these women <laughs> deserves to get mutilated more? <laughs> I mean, I, we're, we're still getting to her father coming back and that's something that really bothers me let's get to it i'm just gonna run through this litany of what tina does to jason it's It's all highly entertaining so tina collapses the stairs she then prevents jason from stomping on nick's spine by ripping off his mask aka the best moment in this film yeah that mask rip and the reveal oh just kiss i also like love how earlier like you can because whenever he moves his teeth because his jaw is exposed when the mask Mm -hmm. is on i love that you can see his teeth move whenever he's doing stuff yeah, I, I, I love, like, the indentations in his soft, mm-hmm. waterlogged head when, like, the oh, mask yeah. comes off. Oh, and the pus that comes out when it tightens. The yeah. pus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Trace, you love a good pus. I hate pus <laughs> so much. It's disgusting. <laughs> okay, so she also uh, hangs him with a light cord, then she drops him into the basement. He ends up grabbing her and pulling her down, so then she has to impale him multiple times with nails to the head. She douses him in gasoline, and she lights him up with the old stove. Then she and Nick are like, yay, and they run out of the house, and it explodes. I will point out that, this, uh, that Hotter being on fire here was... 40 seconds. 40 seconds, which at the time was a record. Madness. Yeah. That is not okay. <laughs> Especially since he had apparently also been burned in a previous fire stunt. Yeah. You're like, oh, buddy. You're almost as dedicated to your job as fictional Jason Voorhees is to killing people. <laughs> mm, self-destructive. Right. So, speaking of self-destructive, Jason, still not dead. So he ends up knocking Nick into the canoe. I do love that it's like, yeah, you're you're not important he anymore. He didn't give a shit. <laughs> he didn't give a shit. He knocked him in the canoe and just leaves him there. Like, yeah. He does not do anything to well, him. He, yeah, he unloaded a gun on him, I think. Oh, yes, yeah. that's right. He tries. God bless you, Nick. You tried. I love how we basically not referenced Nick for most of this episode because he's just such a non-entity in this really movie. really not. Like, yeah. You, you don't need him in this movie. Yeah. And... Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that that's just it. I, I love how his introduction is helping Tina pick up some luggage. I like how nice he... Yeah, I, I think he gets worse as he goes along. Because, yeah, it introduces him and you're like, oh, good, this guy is nice to this poor girl. And then it's just kind of like, oh, he's just there to, like, support her. Yeah. Which is fine, but it's just like... If you're not going to kill him, he really serves no purpose in this movie. Well, it's like, well, yeah, I mean, he's sort of like a catalyst to pull Tina away from Dr. Cruz and sort of yes. not fall prey. But, like, he's, you know, helping her with some clothes and he picks up one of her underwears. And it's like he's never touched women's underwear before. So he's like, oh, shit, the fuck is this? And then she, and then she's <laughs> like, oh, wow, thanks. You were a real help. And I'm like, whoa, yeah. what's with the attitude? <laughs> 
I mean, you have to remember, she probably hasn't also been around men her age in a very long time. Well, meanwhile, while he's off in his boat, the actor's in his uh, trailer shooting in his mouth. Right. Yes. <laughs> or someone else's, <laughs> since we had so many candidates. Teen while. Teen while. Teen while. Teen while. Teen while. Who's drinking now? Uh, still you. Still you. <laughs> So Tina has reanimated her father, and this is the stupidest and most egregious misuse of Miss Sachs's interference in this film, where the dad would have been better. Well, okay, here's the thing. I don't like this at all, no matter what the dad looks like. And so in the behind the scenes stuff, Beekler's like, oh, yeah, this isn't what I wanted. I was like, oh, cool. What did you want? Because I would love to know what ending this movie originally had instead of oh dad comes out pulls jason under boom movie is over it was just his makeup it looks like like they did a whole filming set with more zombie-ish makeup mm-hmm. and at the same time i'm kind of like wait, wait 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 so the dad's been in the lake this entire time they didn't fish his ass out yeah no it, mm. it, it's very weird i had a conversation on twitter with two people and they thought that and i just heavily disagree that they thought that tina was using the dad's body as sort of like a puppet controlling him. And no. yeah. And so like <laughs> this, this movie, which, you know, opens with this abusive dad slapping the mom gives him kind of redemption, but like, I don't yeah. want this fucking abusive dad to overtake Jason fucking Voorhees. Well, yeah. and it's also like, I mean, again, not, not to like, you know, stigmatize alcoholism or whatever, but that's this whole thing. You know, he was an alcoholic who was a wife beater and the whole movie is your main character feeling guilty about killing this guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess it was premeditated because she didn't kill him while he was beating the mother. But it's still like, why are we feeling so bad about this huge piece of shit? And then we give him the killing blow of the film. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, uh, like a deleted scene, I think, was like, there's like a, a weird exchange between them. Like, almost like, like she smiles and he kind of gives this really stupid look like, that's a girl, you know? Ugh. And then, like, uh, I think there was an interview with the actor who plays Mr. Shepard, and this is a quote. You have two zombies in Crystal Lake. One bad zombie, Jason, and one good, Mr. Shepard. And I was like, no, you are not the good zombie. (laughs) Oh, dear. I do think the reason behind this creative decision is that they didn't want to have their teenage female protagonist be a murderer. She spends the entire movie repenting for inadvertently killing someone, so I don't think they want to have her then actively kill anybody, because I think that's why she doesn't do anything to Dr. Cruz, and I think that's why Dad has to step in to save her here. And that's why it needs a remake in 2021. Yeah, because you could just let women fucking kill people, because <laughs> that's okay. Let women kill. Let women kill. <laughs> they do it all the time. It's fine. I, I mean, I think I think the stance of her protecting her mom is fine you know why why not have that yeah I, I i agree i agree yeah this ending like almost tanks this movie honestly like if this ending was different it would rank even higher for me oh i disagree i think it's fine it's predictable because you know somebody comes out of the water at the beginning and somebody comes out of the water at the end i mean i've seen this movie like six or seven times and this is the first time where that ending rubbed me the wrong way hmm just because of the the deal with the stuff at the beginning like you don't want the redemption arc for him uh i don't i also don't want him to you know get this light shined on him like he's a savior you're rubbing your feelings about 
killing your dad, but at the same time, your dad is still the same guy that fell into the lake. You know, like, he hasn't learned a lesson unless he's been taking sensitivity training at the bottom of the fucking lake. Right. (laughs) (laughs) It's just weird. I've been going to AA at the bottom of the lake. Really, baby girl? (laughs) (sighs) And that's it. We get a shot of Tina and Nick, who's still alive. Mm Mm-hmm. And the ambulance, and boom, movie is over. Yeah. There is that deleted scene that's, like, just another guy in the canoe, and he gets grabbed, and it's so bad. (laughs) It looks like they filmed it again in one take, and, like, they couldn't even get Jason fully out of the water to grab this guy. It's really not good. Well, like, I couldn't tell, because, I mean, like, at the end, you get this sort of, like, the ch 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 so you mm-hmm. get this idea that he's still alive, but I couldn't tell if they went with this angle because who knows if the franchise will move forward, you know? Right, yeah. Which, I'm pretty sure Takes Manhattan comes out like a, a year, year later. later. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The movie that will be remaked in 2022. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. But but that was the one, too, where they released the poster before they'd even, like, shot the film. Oh, God. All-timer poster. Yeah, <laughs> great. I mean, all these posters are great. I also love the poster for this film. Mm. Yeah. But I mean, again, just the I love New York. Sorry, not that many, but we'll we'll cover it one day. We'll cover all the shitty Fridays one day. Yeah, never the good ones, just the the ones in the bottom end of the tier. Oh, Jason X is one of the best. How dare you? Oh, I do like Jason X. I will say that, yeah, on rewatching it for this podcast, my opinion on it went down a little bit, but I still really like it. You got to be ready to accept the dumb fun. Um, were you high, Trace? No, I was not. I'll try it again mm. soon with high. Okay. With, 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 with weed. <laughs> with high. With high. <laughs> oh my God. Anyway, so <laughs> lasting or final thoughts on The New Blood, everyone. What are your thoughts? I mean, I always have like a sort of a rotating favorites. Like um, mm-hmm. part three always sort of rotates around. I appreciate it sort of the more I see it. Mm-hmm. But this, this is usually in a, a top four. Because I love Jason X Part 2, and then most recently in the past like two years, I think uh, Jason Lives has moved into the top three. So I would say that this rests at four. I just think that as stupid as it is, if you're looking at, at the cuts, you have Beekler saying that horror is pretty much like telling a good joke. It's a build-up in the punchline. My punchlines were all removed by the MPAA. But I guess when I watch it, having seen the cuts, you can see where it's going. And, like, it does take away from it, but at the same time, use your imagination. I just think that, yes, the movie would have been better with them added, but at the same time, it doesn't ruin the movie for me. And I think that utilizing this telekinetic young woman, it's refreshing. And, like, the showdown is really great, and I really love, like, we've already insulted the Camp Crystal Lake setting because it's a fucking giant puddle, but I love the house. I think, like got this weird gothic quality to it when like the camera's pulled back and you see like the orange glow of in the windows and it's like weird white facade like it's sort of lucid almost and i think that some of this movie has a dreamlike quality to it because if you look at especially when maddie is sort of stumbling around outside there's like a lot of like hanging moss and like it's a it's a weird set and i really kind of love how it evokes this like weird fantasy woods setting but yeah, I always like this. I mean, I could pick it apart, but I could also champion it. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. I'm generally of the same mindset as you. It's it's in the middle for me. I have this ranked seventh. Yeah. And I think it's dumb fun. 
I just, yeah, I do wish, like, it feels too short. And I feel silly saying, oh, I want a Friday the 13th movie to be, like, an hour and 45 minutes long. Mm. But I could use an extra 15 minutes just kind of fleshing out some of these characters and plot lines and changing the ending. I mean, Jason Takes Manhattan is, I think, 110 minutes. Oh, oh gosh. It's long. Yeah, no, you, you are right. I, I thought the remake was the longest one, but you are right. Manhattan's the longest one. Yeah, and I mean, and you, and you, and you feel it. But you also feel how mm-hmm. short this movie is, and it's sort of yeah. a detriment to um, everything. Yeah, the characters, the story. Yeah, but yeah, I don't know. It just holds it holds a place in my heart. Hmm. I think that's totally fair, and we have plenty of those on this on this podcast. Hmm. There we go. Yeah, for me, uh, it does feel like a bit of a missed opportunity. I remember as a kid, I was really struck by the idea of Carrie showing up in a film like this. Like I've never seen a telekinetic or like super powered person in a slasher film, which just goes to show I hadn't seen very many slasher films, but um, mm-hmm. I think the execution just isn't quite there. And yeah, you know, the missing gore is a, is a problem. The studio interference is a problem, but overall for me, just get rid of some of these characters so that you can let the ones who are still around breathe and become yeah. actual people that we care about. Cause if you're killing people and I can't even remember their names or they're not connected to the plot, I just don't care as much. Yeah. I think that's fair as well. Yeah. I think like, I think in this day and age of the MCU being everywhere, I think that this sort of can lead, lead the way for like a cool superhero slasher hybrid because mm-hmm. you know i mean you could look at tina and her powers as being super and i think that like you know if anybody wanted to go in that direction nowadays i think this is a good template of what not to do but also how to get a bit creative you know yeah yeah i agree all right that will conclude friday the 13th part 7 the new blood before we announce what we're covering next week, Greg, let everyone know where they can find you on social media and if you want to promote anything. Uh, you can find me at Real Brew, R-E-E-L Brew. I am slowly whittling away at a Rucker Hour podcast called the Hour Power Hour. <laughs> if anybody wants to buy that name, I'm, I'm pretty easy <laughs> and cheap. But I also occasionally write for Talk Home Society, Daily Grindhouse. But yeah. That's where you can find me. All right. Well, thank you for coming on. It's obviously, obviously, oh my God, it's been a pleasure. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously. Yeah, no, it was was a lot of fun. Yeah, I look forward to talking about more cum eating in future chats. Um, (laughs) Eat that mango. If you want (laughs) to... <laughs> if you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us on Twitter and Instagram at Horror Queers. Uh, you can also join our Facebook Horror Queers group to hang out with other listeners. And find us on Letterboxd to keep track of all the films we have covered. Uh, if you have a moment, please rate and review us on your podcatcher of choice, although we love a good Apple Podcast review. And if you want even more content, please support the show by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash horrorqueers. Uh, This March, we are still doing our hillbilly or rural or backwoods horror month. Uh, (laughs) So we've, of course, already released an episode on the new Wrong Turn film. And we'll also have episodes on the remake of The Texas Chainsaw Massacre and The X-Files Season 4 episode Home, which is one of the more controversial installments of that series. And we'll also have an audio commentary on Alexander Aja's 2006 remake of The Hills Have Eyes. So lots of nastiness happening this month. Please sign up and check that out. (laughs) Joe. Yes. What are we covering next week? 
All right, so we are traveling back to the 50s for the very Ooh. first time, Trace, and we're also going international. So it's a little bit funny. We're not celebrating the 25th anniversary of the 1996 Sharon Stone remake. We're going to cover the original French film, Le Diabolique. Yes. I also, correct me if I'm wrong, Joe. So we've done black and white films before. We've done mm-hmm. foreign films before, mm-hmm. but we've never done a black and white foreign film for the podcast. Uh, no, I believe you are correct. Yeah. Oh my god, we're gonna see how many listeners tune in for that shit. Yeah, all ten of you. Look forward to that episode <laughs> next week. But yes, please check it out. Um, I've actually watched that movie today. It's quite good. So on that note, until next week, we can cross out Friday the 13th, Part 7, The New Blood. Yes, and cross out Horror Queers, Mango Edition. <laughs> You've made it to the end of another bloody disgusting podcast. Congratulations. If you like our programming, consider searching for other bloody disgusting podcasts, such as Creepy, Horror Queers, The Boo Crew, SCP Archives, Nightlight, Margaret's Garden, Nightmare on Film Street, and more.